This is the moment many wait for. The most entertaining. A man of wisdom. A man of experience, Dave. The most informative. To bring light to a dark subject. To bring positivity to a negative world. The incredible Paul Moyer. Moyer out, you losers. What are you laughing at, Dave? To bring insight, Dave. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like when KJ goes, you can't go in there with that salt. <laughs> you can't just show up, salt. Well, this man just shows up and dazzles every single week. We bring him in on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is the great Paul Moyer. How are you, sir? I I'm doing well, and uh, yeah, I, I heard you guys talk about Charlie Wood at 16 over. I think I could have beat him today. You think and, so on uh, that course? You think so? Yeah, well, he had a 12 on a par four, so he was eight over on one hole. Okay. Um, that's that's a that's a high score. I mean, uh, maybe yeah, I don't know. I probably would have had a hard time, but uh, I'd like to think I could beat him. Yeah, with that score, old, beating up on 15 year olds. Okay. If that makes you feel Whatever. good. Paul. Look, I'm 62. I mean, they're either right. trying to beat up on an elderly guy or I'm beating up on some years. I mean, You're a frail old man. He's not showing yeah. respect to his elders. I got you. Hey, but before we yeah. get into the NFL and everything else going on, we were Dave and I were talking in the previous segment about college football. They're going to be moving to a 12-team playoff the next season. But there was already there's a story that came out that they're already debating a 14 to 16 team playoff before they've even played the 12. Um, and I'm wondering, at what, for you, you're, you're a big college football fan. Where, where's the cutoff where you look at it and go, okay, this is it's too many teams. It's diluted. The, the specialness of, of making it there is, is, has now been watered down because of so many teams. What, is there a number you have in mind? Um, I think 16 is probably pushing it because I don't think there's 16 teams that can – that can win it all. But, you know, in basketball, there's not 68 or 64 teams that can win it all either. I think 16 would be, that would be pushing it. But I, I also think at this point, the bowl games are done, right? Yes. So you better have something to have some fill time. The the thing I don't like about the 14 at all is, you know, if they do their math, right. You, you're talking about having a couple of teams have a buy. I get. I, I didn't look at the full format, but you're going to try to get it down to eight or twelve, whatever that number is for the for the next rounds. Like uh, I get, they're going to try. I think you try to get down to eight, right? How how are you going to decide that again? Are you, is it going to be subjective, like it has been over the last ten years, or oh, you know what? We're 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 going to take a committee and we're going to rank them. Man, get away with that. Just do away with it. Give the conference champions, uh, the Power Five champions, you know, a bye. Play everybody else. At least that's fair. At least it's more NFL-like. So yeah, I have issues whenever they start creeping in and saying we'll we'll dictate and tell you who's going to be in the playoffs and who gets buys. What about the bowl games, Paul? Tell tell us your your experience with that. I mean, I, I just remember even like ten years ago, I would do a bowl pool for my family, you know, and we would all you know chip in a dollar or whatever it was just to make it make it interesting. But you know, you you saw now it's become like um, individually named like Jimmy Kimmel Bowl and things like that, yeah. and you've got you know lots of those. You, you the Manny's Bowl, yeah. And you, you see in the crowd, there's not that many people and everything. I mean, and just your experience with that, and then. How how kind of sad is that? I mean, I, I remember in high school, growing up in like junior high and high school, thinking, man, if you could ever go to a bowl game, that would be like the most exciting thing ever. Yeah, I mean, I played in the Fiesta Bowl my senior year, 
against Oklahoma and a guy named Marcus Dupree. And yeah. it was a great experience. I mean, it was so much fun. Uh, and it was even, it was in our backyard because we, uh, I don't want to talk about why we weren't in the Rose Bowl that year, but um, ended up playing the Fiesta Bowl, which was, it was great. They they treated us right. You know, Dave, I look at it as I'm just old. I, you know, I look at guys like, you know, Nick Saban and, and uh, Chip Kelly and some of these coaches have said, I'm out. I don't, I don't want to be a part of this head coaching deal that's going on. It's it, it, name, image, likeness. I think they all get, but the, the try to pay the players to come. And then I listen to a guy like Kenny Dillinger, who's the head coach from Arizona State. And he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah, it's hard work. You got to work hard in life and, you know, there's no excuses. We get paid well. And, you know, he has a completely different attitude on how it is because he didn't experience what that other world was like. I, I wish bowl games mattered. And what I mean by that is now it's become like anything. It, you're looking for a, a national champion at, at all costs. Where before, man, you you just cared about the bowl game. The Holiday Bowl was a big one. Obviously, the Rose Bowl was huge. I mean, you, you got excited to watch other conferences cross over. That, that game's over. I mean, it's just completely different for us moving forward. I, I think it'll be exciting, though, you know, to get to a playoff. You know, we'll certainly be in tune because – you know, it'd be like the NFL playoffs. Everybody's going to be really into it. It'd be like March Madness. They're going to make a lot of money doing it. But I tell you, I, I just think a year, two, five years from now, how much interest am I going to have on a team that I don't already, I already don't know the players. And now they're revolving every year. You just don't yeah. get a chance to build a brand. You don't get a chance to build loyalty and rooting for people. You're just going to be rooting for a college only. And I don't know. I'm not trying to be this grumpy old guy that, ah, oh, this is all horrible. But for us, you know, old timers, uh, it's a sad day, I think, for how this is transitioned. Hey, uh, just looking at the NFL and the Seahawks specifically, Paul, Dave and I were talking about their salary cap issues. Uh, technically, I guess if you look at uh, some of these some of these websites, they're over the cap by a few million dollars, which is odd. But you, you start looking at, all right, they're paying a pretty good chunk of money to, to Gino, to Quandre, to Jamal, to DK, and to Tyler. And Tyler seems to be the topic of discussion for a lot of people for two different reasons. A, he's got you know a pretty, pretty hefty salary. He's, he is getting older. But there, there seems to be this other element of the fan base, and it's a small but vocal element, that are like, he's washed, he's done, he doesn't, he's afraid of getting hit, he's this, he's that. And I'm going, man, you're talking about a guy who, previous to this last season, had over 1,000 yards four years in a row. He's the guy that just always shows up with about five yards of separation when you need it most, when the play breaks down and Geno's scrambling around, there's Tyler. Uh I, I'm not sure what shifted everybody's opinion on him, but the idea that potentially he could be a casualty of, of the cap situation is is kind of a hard one to, to fathom at this point. What, what do you think in regards to Tyler? Is he still a crucial piece of this team moving forward, or do you look at it and say, well, you got JSN who had 93 targets last year as a rookie. He's He's set to sort of occupy that space when Tyler leaves. Yeah, I think Tyler is still a very good player. Um, but at 26 million, almost 27 million cap hit this year, I don't know how you can pay 
your second or third wide receiver that much. So something's going to have to give there, uh, whether it's a restructure. Um, I don't know. You know, again, I'm not a salary cap guy. It's so com- complex. And, you know, when you look at in baseball, the, the Otani contract where he pushed everything out 10 years, that's kind of what they do with these salary caps. You know, they give these signing bonus, they, you know, give these long contracts that never actually get there, but they, they're always are mortgaging the farm down the road. So you've got to be careful with that, but they have some really difficult decisions. And I mean, difficult in that good players are going to be either cut or for sure be restructured. You know, we talked about Will Disley. I don't think you can bring him back at 10 million for a blocking tight end. Um, I think they've got an interesting one though. I think it's probably, you know, a little tougher, you know, Draymond Jones. I don't know what you can do with that because the dead cap money doesn't really help you, but you can do something with Tyler and you can do something with Jamal and, you know, some other pieces to that to free up some, some cap, but yeah, Tyler can still play. Um, There's some things, you know, I, I don't think he's afraid to be hit. I think Pete told him, Hey, you're 175 pounds soaking wet and we're going to be using you across the middle at times, get down. You're more valuable to us, you know, with uh, reps than, than taking a big hit. And then he'll take one every once in a while. I think the one drop he had, um, I, I can't remember. I think it was the Dallas game where, you know, we would have put the game away. You know, I've seen yeah. a little bit of that, you know, just a little, it's not, it's by no means it's not, Oh golly, he's, he's fading, but you know, he used to always come up with those catches. And so, yeah, I just look at the number and I think something's got to happen. Cause I just don't see them bringing him back for 27 million on that uh, as a cap number. Hey, Paul, by the way, the, the sort of picture you painted with the, you know, the bowl games and college football, I thought was spot on, especially for, for guys like, you know, that were in that era. And I just remember thinking, you know, going to a bowl game would be like the coolest thing ever in, in college. It so was that it was, was fun, Dave. You should have been there. You should have been there with Elway's last year, except you got cheated by Cal, who was down when he lateraled that thing. And you guys would have gone to a bowl game. You got cheated. That's I know. Yeah, we had someone there to present us the invite to the bowl game, and then that happened. So, yeah. Um, hey, real quick, can I, do I, I got a question for you guys. Um, so you, I listened to you guys with John Schneider last week at 4 o'clock, and yes. I'm clearly the I'm the, the lead. Am I I'm the opening act for him? Um, <laughs> yes, you know, you're warm up. Prime. Yeah, I, what, what, do we, what do we do? We know we're going to talk to him today. Do have you guys? Do you guys spend more time thinking about that interview than obviously with me? We're going to ask him who he's going to cut, how much he's going to pay certain players, and who he's going to draft. And he'll probably give you <laughs> a lot of detail to that, won't he? Yeah, all of those are the, non-starters. The three minutes of dead air. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. he's such a good interview. I mean, it's so fun. So I, you know, I, I get to listen afterwards and, and see I, what I really think he probably listens at three o'clock to get his material for four. Yeah. Yeah. He listens so we'll, to you. Definitely. He's definitely yeah. looking for some leadership there. <laughs> hey, exactly. You know, you're talking about the, I don't know. I, I guess I could be better at knowing what the salary cap rules are and everything, but I really think that it's a fool's errand because you, you, you try to understand that. And I feel like, you know, guys like Matt Thomas, 
um, are probably hearing things. I mean, I think Spotrack does a pretty decent job. But, I mean, we have wrung our hands like this every offseason. Like, how are they going to keep this guy? How are they going to keep that guy? And, and I feel like that's a tremendous advantage. And I feel like, you know, we you always ask, like, okay, who's the owner? Who's the GM? You know, who is the who's the head coach? How about the capologist? I feel like that's the, the most important part. And you're in the financial world. I mean, I, I, you can manipulate numbers. And if you understand the rules, and I think that the that that's something that everybody thinks that, okay, everybody has, you know, an understanding. But I think that there are guys that do it better um, than others, that that's actually like a competitive, it's like, you know, if you were a coach, you would have you have a record. I feel like these guys that that run the the cap, you know, some do a a, a good job, like a decent job, and I think some do a great job. And I feel like that's kind of what, you know, that there's never been any huge dramatic things that have happened because of the salary cap here. Yeah, I think it's it's one it's it is confusing um, in how they structure it with you know guarantees or the the upfront you know bonus or signing bonus money. Um, I think it's also why, and I'd be curious to ask John, I do believe why it's important to separate the coaches from the general manager and the salary cap, because you have to be looking, not just this year, you have to be looking two, three, it's just five, five moves, five years down the road and how it's going to impact because you're constantly mortgage in the farm down the road. Now the Seahawks don't do a lot of that. They don't restructure a lot. Um, but you're right, Dave, it's, it's tricky. You also have to, as the GM go, okay, we've got Geno Smith when his contract is up again, at what point do we have to go find a young rookie quarterback uh, in contract? So yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm in the finance world, but this one's so confusing to me and how it all works. And then you, and, and why, if you cut somebody post June 1st versus pre June 1st, would it be a difference? And why, if I traded somebody or restructured, I, again, it's, yeah, it's, it's monopoly money. And, and those who have a lot of cash to put in escrow for these guys for the, the guarantee can manipulate the, the salary cap a little more. And I think the Seahawks are in a pretty good position for that. Is there anybody that you look at, whether we're talking about Quandre, Jamal, uh, Tyler, uh, even Will Disley? We were talking about Will Disley, just as a side note here, Paul, and just looking at production, and we all love Will. He couldn't find a nicer guy, and guy's a great blocker and everything, but you look at what he's bringing to the table after signing this contract, They, I, I don't, for whatever reason, they don't go to him. He's He had 22 total targets this season. He had 17 yeah. total catches, one touchdown, in 173 yards or something like 173, that. 173. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about that. That that's a game for for Kelsey, for Travis Kelsey, yeah. and that's his season. So you're looking at a guy who's making millions of dollars. To I I don't know. Do you put that on him? Is that we're just trying to look for other areas where the the cost is not uh, is is sort of prohibitive based on production, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you, you want all these guys back. You just can't have them all come back. I, I think for Will Disley, he got a nice contract. They needed him. We 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 know when he's healthy, what he can do. But the, but drafting JSN changed that. It changed the tight end complexion completely. If you go back in 2022, the tight ends had over a hundred 
catches and I don't know how many targets uh, along the way. And, you know, we, we really used the tight ends quite a bit in 2022. All of those targets and catches went to JSN this year. So they got pulled back, whatever JSN's numbers. 93 you know, targets. I mean, those were, yeah. I'm not going to say all of them were tight end targets the year before, but a lot of them. let's say half of them. And then on top of that, we had Abraham Lucas out and they felt like, okay, we've got to help with a tight end to stay in. And it was often Will Disley. So there's reasons why he didn't get the targets. And then I think also um, just, you know, the evolution of the other two tight ends that, you know, were good route runners, big targets uh, after the catch. It's just, there's just limited opportunities. Look, you get 70 snaps, 65 offensive snaps. You know, you, you, if you want to run at 25, you know, you're, you're down to what, 30, 35 plays at this point. I just, it's just it's a numbers game, and in this situation, I I think there's two easy ones when I look at the salary cap, and it's not that you don't want them, but certainly Brian Monet, who's about almost six million to the cap, you let him go post June first, it's a five hundred thousand um, dollar cap hit for you, so you're okay there. And I think the same thing when I look at Will Disley, you know, you save almost seven million dollars if you if you let him go. So and they just have to. I mean, it's just. You're playing in a in a in a box, and you only have so much money to play with. So, Paul, you know, as far as acquisition of talent, you know, comes through free agency, which is coming up, and and the draft, of course. But as far as uh, position groups, you know, we've been talking a lot about linebacker, man. I mean, they don't have anybody signed there really, and um, you know, other than like Radigan or Blore, but. Um, what are some of the other – do you agree? Is that the number one priority? And what are some of the other um, position groups that you think they are really urgently have to address? Well, I think it's linebacker, linebacker, linebacker. Uh, yeah. It's critical. And it's not that you don't want to add to the offensive line or the defensive line, but we have some young guys there that are going to have to develop. You have to count on your second- and third-year players. And, you know, last year, if you look at the draft and the, and the draft before that, we've drafted some guys that are, you're going to get an opportunity. We can't have everybody making north of $10 million. Those numbers don't work. So to me, it's linebacker, linebackers. We don't have any, at least inside. Um, I think, you know, trying to bolster the offensive line is, is going to be something there too, you know, just because, you know, the depth's not as, as good as it was a year ago. Uh, so if I, you know, to me, look, you're set at wide receiver. You're obviously set in the skill position at running backs, tight end. They're going to have to figure that out just because everybody's pretty much a free agent. But Will Disley, not uh, your secondary, you're set. Um, but you're going to have to count on some young guys to step up. And I'm excited. I'm, I I can't wait four o'clock when you guys ask those questions to John Snyder, <laughs> yeah. and I I get, I get that answer. But what a fun time for John. I mean, this is yeah. such an exciting time. It really is. And uh, real quick, uh, we've been talking about Patrick Queen, and I'm not sure how much you looked at him. He got drafted by the Baltimore Ravens right after Jordan Brooks. But, yep. you know, we had a list of top 50 uh, you know, free agents, and he was like number 33 or something. It just kind of makes sense, but it's almost like it makes too much sense that it's actually ever going <laughs> to happen. But, you know, Mike McDonald bringing his middle linebacker with him, uh, that mm -hmm. makes a ton of sense. What do you think about him? Yeah, he's a different player than Jordan Brooks. And I like Jordan better than Patrick Queen 
when they came out of college. I watched Patrick and I go, okay, he's kind of a hybrid guy. He was undersized. You knew he could run. Um, it was just finding a, a fit, you know, scheme wise for him. Well, guess what? My coach McDonald found that scheme and got the most out of him. Yeah. It makes too much sense. I, you, I really believe Mike McDonald is going to get one or two guys from Baltimore. I, I remember when Chuck Knox first came, and sorry for bringing old stories up, everybody listening, but when Chuck Knox first came his first year to Seattle, it was my rookie year. He was bringing in a whole new system, defensively and offensively, and he made sure he brought a couple of veteran guys that he had coached when he was at the Rams and when he was at Buffalo. And the reason why is they dictated the tempo, uh, how things were going to be conducted in the meetings as far as the locker room, all that stuff. And so you want good leaders, good players. And so I think, Mike, it would benefit them. You, you got to go get them. They're expensive. Uh, but I think it would benefit this team if they got some one or two players, and Patrick Queen would be a good one. That would be pretty cool. I would be in favor of that. If they could yeah. figure that one out, and, and uh, Matabike would be another one I'd be really excited about their defensive yeah, tackle. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of money attached to those guys, so we'll, we'll see what happens with them. Paul, as always, we appreciate it. Great stuff. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll, we'll talk next week. All right. Tell John I said hello. Look forward to hearing it. And Moyer is out. All right. Look at that. He's got a Maybe nail. we can get John to say Schneider out. Yeah. <laughs> we know Paul never hangs up, so don't say anything bad about it. Right <laughs> uh, we love Paul. We love Paul. If you missed any of that conversation, it will be on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Coming up, there's an encouraging trend for the Mariners this season. We'll talk about what that is coming up next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airline Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to Paul Moyer, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys missed that conversation, check it out on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. We've got uh, Seahawks president of football operations and general manager John Schneider joining us at 4 o'clock today. A little bit of news we can ask him about. Uh, as it pertains to Geno Smith, Field Yates tweeting uh, just a bit ago that the Seahawks have restructured the contract of quarterback Geno Smith, converting his $9.6 million roster bonus into a signing bonus and creating $4.8 million in 2024 cap space. So there we go. That's how it's, it's done. It's, it's those weird, it's the shell game. It's right. all right, it was a roster bonus, now it's a signing bonus, or it's a signing bonus, now it's a roster bonus. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to know how the salary cap works. They ha they have people that they. That's their full time job is to address the salary cap. Yeah, and I asked somebody like Andrew, an Andrew Brandt type of a person one time, like, do you, like, how often do you calculate the the salary cap? And he was like, every day. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's always something. Now, obviously, there's down periods of time where they're not making any transactions, but like once the season starts and this time of year. Well, probably year round. Like, how are we going to, you know, fit all of this in? And again, just trust in the fact that they always have done a good job with that. They have a really good owner who's willing to spend. And, you know, obviously there's, it's not like you know, baseball where there are, you know, cheap people that are, you know, trying to get away with spending the, the absolute minimum. But, you know, cooperative owner and I'm starting to think, you know, that maybe that whoever the capologist should be uh, like, mentioned like oh yeah their gm is this their owner is this their 
head coach, and then their capologist is this guy. Yeah. Those guys yeah. are they're valuable, man. Well, and some teams have two of those guys, and it's just, I mean, it just tells you how complex and – you look at this and you're going, all right. So it was a it was a roster bonus, but now it's been converted into a signing bonus. All right, what's the difference? What's I yeah. mean, I, I I get a name what the difference, but it's just it's funny how you can just move it here. We're going to call this yeah. this now. Now that we call it this, it used to be called that, but now we're going to call this pile of money this. Thus, we now have more money to spend. Well, it's like, and, it's and a, somewhere there is something that explains that, Bob. Yeah. And so trying to get through all of that crap and, and figure out, like, okay, so if I do this, that's a benefit. and Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So we'll, we'll talk to John about that coming up, and I would imagine that's just the beginning because they're going to need more money to play with here. So maybe there's some restructures. Maybe there's a, you know, this gets converted to bonus and. You know, as we talk about Tyler or Jamal or Quandre or any anybody who's making a, a decent chunk, and Gino was one of those guys we mentioned. Yeah, and real quick before we get to the the Mariners here, um, also I think it's John's relationship with the players. Like, remember the the one year with uh, Dwayne Brown and the year with um, with Jamal. Mm-hmm. I mean, they knew that they were going to get their deal done, and yeah. you know, it was just like, okay, you're in this slot here and you know like you're going to be number three but we have to do this first then this and we will get to you and you know the the players they believe him and trust him which they should well and and then one more on this just if if you're gino or any player for that matter that that they do this with hey this was a signing bonus now we're calling it a roster or vice versa what do you care you're still getting the same amount of money well and especially if you're getting it right now yeah, you know, sometimes they will move the money up, and that's what they try to do with Jay Reed. Yeah, and it's like, do I want my ten million dollars now or in six months? Yeah, in one lump sum. Is anybody uh, is anybody taking an economics course or just simple math? You want the money in your possession. Yeah, it's not doing you any good there. So, yeah, I mean, that, some of it is that kind of stuff. So a lot of these guys, you know, they think they're going to suffer because of the salary cap. Like, oh. Sweet. I got a nice little bonus here. Yeah, yeah. Instances, it's different if they're asking you to take a pay cut but yeah. or even deferring money. I get, hey, we, you're not going to get this now. We're going to push this to this year yeah. or whatever. But as long as it's you're getting it, it's guaranteed in this in this form, it's just you're getting it here or here. It's just if I'm the player, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. whatever. I mean, obviously, you're going to look at it differently if they're, they're going to pay you way later. Certainly. But Certainly. I got to say that I had a deal like that where it paid me out like three years after my contract was up. It's kind of cool. When I was retired on my birthday, I would get a check, and I'd be like, oh, man, this is a nice little bonus. It's like a mini version of Bobby Bonilla. Million bucks a year. That's for, right. For like twenty five year. I think he's still going with the Mets. But Crazy. financially that doesn't make sense. It really doesn't because you want that money in your bank account, earning interest and right. things like that, and you don't have it. But I gotta say I, I really liked it. It was a it was a nice little pretty cool little bonus. <laughs> Imagine having that over a couple of decades. Yeah. Just knowing no matter what happens, I'm getting a million dollars this right. year. No exactly. matter if I if I lay on the couch for 365 days, I'm going to get a million bucks. <laughs> Is that, you're, like, you're like George. Would you also be uh, eating a hunk of cheese? The size of a car battery. It'd be Dave. the summer of Bob. <laughs> That's right. The size of a car battery, shirtless, and a pair of shorts eating cheese. Uh, get a, a, a Barker lounger with a refrigerator in the That's right. Uh, meanwhile, Major League Baseball, uh, MLB.com, unveiled their top 100 players for the 2024 season. And five of them wear Seattle Mariner uniforms. So you have Julio, who's number 16 last year, and he's number 10 this year. So he, he moves into the top 10. Yeah. 
You've got J.P. Crawford, his first appearance on the list. He's at number 69. George Kirby in his first appearance on the list at number 75. And Cal Raleigh, his first appearance on the list at number 93. Pretty cool to see, you know, all right, starting to see these guys get a little respect. Now, anybody you, you can think of that you feel like, yeah, maybe they should have been on the list. Or this guy should have been higher. George Kirby should have been higher. Cal Raleigh should have been higher. If you go and look at Ty France's numbers and they project forward instead of the year that he had last year and project forward that he had a good year and was what you expected from him, do you think he'd be in this top 100? He might be teetering at the edge of it yeah. if you if you remove last year. But I'm happy to see Cal in there. Yeah, 93. Number 93. I Obviously, we're biased. We feel like he should be a little bit higher. The other thing is Julio at number 10. Yeah. That's pretty, you know, because... I don't know. He he was two. He batted two seventy five last year. I mean, he had a good year. He's a he's a great yeah, outfielder. Totality, he did. He had a good year. It was yeah. just where those moments came. Right. Um, but what what about Logan Gilbert? He's the one that I immediately thought about. Yeah. Like, okay, all right. Or I don't I don't even know. I haven't gone through the whole list to see if they put relievers on there. But would would Brash find his way onto that or Munoz perhaps I, I mean I'm stretching it out a bit here but yeah I wonder are they maybe are they doing bullpen players because or uh, pitchers because but yeah I mean yeah you mentioned um there was a lot of times we had conversations like who's the ace yeah remember last year and you know it went from Luis Castillo to George Kirby to Logan Gilbert I mean there was like a couple of times I think Maybe it was mostly me, but, you know, whenever we'd look at each other and go, okay, who's your ace right now? Who's mm -hmm. who's number one? I remember it going between those three. So, yeah, I could see Logan Gilbert possibly crawling in there next year if he has the same kind of year he had this last year. Yeah, and just, look, just looking at the list, I mean, so far it's all, it's all position players for the most part. I mean, Acuna Jr. is number one. They've got Mookie Betts at number two, Aaron Judge at three, Shohei's at four. I'm assuming that's because of his injury. Uh, that he wouldn't be at the top of this list. Yeah. Um, Freddie Freeman at five, Corey Seager at six, uh, Juan Soto at seven, Jordan Alvarez at eight, uh, Garrett Cole, first pitcher on the list at number nine, and then Julio at ten. Yeah. So there's your top ten. Um, but, yeah, others like Bryce Harper, Mac Trout, uh, Mike Trout, uh, Matt Olson, Jose Ramirez, Riley. Uh, yeah, I'm not seeing relief pitchers in here so far. So, yeah, maybe not. I'm just trying to extend out from the Mariners roster who would be worthy. But my, my immediate reaction would be Logan. Yeah, I think that's right. But, we're out, I mean, who else at this point? Nobody. Yeah. And, and really, JP at 69, I mean, that's his very first appearance. Yeah. It's a really good entry point i feel like for him i mean it's his first time and you know uh jp was a guy we really worried about going into last year I, he, he was alleviated a lot of concerns now it's can he do that again yeah can he be close to that does he take another step or he was he was ty france last year yeah. the way ty france is this year i mean we were like okay but and you know same thing with france like we were saying with jp love him Love JP. He's a leader. He's a great defender. You know, uh, got a good arm, whole thing, but just doesn't really hit with anger. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. This he, year he did. Yeah, he had decidedly more pop than he's ever had. He was squaring the ball up, just hitting it hard. He just really nice season out of Crawford, and hopefully he can build on that. That's hopefully that's not the ceiling. It's he's just starting to starting to reach his potential. Uh, meanwhile, if it's not Tyler Lockett. 
Who else could the Seahawks move on from in order to free up cap space? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up in about 15 minutes at 4 o'clock, John Schneider, GM, President of Football Operations for your Seattle Seahawks, will join us on the program as we are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. It's Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. And we were talking earlier about, you know, their cap moves and what they're going to need to do to to get themselves some breathing room. Well, we just talked about Field Yates' uh, tweet that just came out that they – they converted some money of uh, Geno Smith's from signing bonus into roster bonus or roster into signing, one way or the other. They freed up $4 million worth of cap space by calling it something else. Uh, but they can't stop there. They need they need more room to work with, certainly. And we, we talked about some of the some of the uh, targets potentially based on their pay would, would have at the time been Geno, so they've gone that route. Tyler Lockett, Jamal Adams, DK Metcalf. We brought up Will Disley earlier in the program, and – He's he's he feels like if we're just going on what he's being paid versus production and and what they could save, he feels like he could be a target. You know, if you look at him, um, he's uh, the he's got a ten million dollar cap hit this season, and entering the final year of his deal, Seahawks could save six point nine seven million. So he's but he's the only guy who's signed right now. I believe the other two, Co, uh, Parkinson and, and Fant, are free agents. Yeah, so uh, I would think at the very least they he would maybe be a candidate for what they did with Gino, to to move some money around if they can and call it something else, but yeah. you still get it all. <laughs> I, just, I have so many questions for a guy like Matt Thomas. I would just annoy the hell out of him. You think he'd enjoy sitting down with us for like twenty minutes talking? Absolutely can? not. <laughs> he, he'll bring us towels. He'll bring us water. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want any attention at all. I, you know, early, this is like five or six years ago, whenever we were down the sidelines and, you know, he's a nice guy. So I've gotten to be friends with him over the years. And so I, I was asking him a bunch of questions. Right. And at one point he goes, you know, I'm not trying to be difficult here or, you know, be an ass to you or anything like that. But I can't really answer those questions. Okay? Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll stop asking. <laughs> That's so funny. But no, I mean that's and that's the theme of this place, the VMAC. Yeah. Whether it's Dave Pearson with the media stuff, Schneider, um, those guys are very secretive, tight, tight lip. Yeah, yeah. They, they do a great job. Now you got to feel like anything that gets out of the building, it was meant to. Like yeah, there's a re- like it was leaked out because there's there's right. an agenda. I no, they nothing do, leaks. They do an amazing job because I, I have people like will say, well, you know, John Schneider, your your buddies with him, right? I'm like, yeah, he didn't tell me anything. We don't talk about football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so that, that's. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, getting back to the whole salary cap and Will Disley to see, you know, maybe they are they maybe they have a trick up their sleeve. But like Paul was saying, I mean, the targets really went to JSN. I yeah. Mean, what did you say it was? 93. 93 targets. Yeah, I mean, that was those were going to the tight ends in years past. But I heard also from Ryan Grubb talking about how he liked the three tight end set, you know, and how, you know, we can get in that. And, you know, it's a if you have good pass receiving tight ends, of which, you know, we see what a what a premium those are in the in the Super Bowl with Travis Kelsey and George Kittle that you know you can but they're good blockers and mm-hmm. and Will Disley really is a fantastic blocker yeah he really is and and Colby grew into one 
And then, you know, Noah Fant's always been just okay, but he's a very sneaky, good pass catcher, as Pete would say. Yeah, and uh, he's and a good catcher. A good yeah. catcher, and he can run after catch. Yeah. Well, we, we had Andrew Brandt on, and so there's the idea of restructuring, and then there's the idea of you just ask guys to take a pay cut, mm-hmm. and then you restructure, obviously, but they're, they're going to make less. And Andrew Brandt talked about just how tricky that, that path is to navigate. You know, do you want to do an outright release and take on that big dead money charge? Do you want to work towards a pay reduction, which are not easy, of course, when you go to veterans that have contributed for a long time? And these are tricky negotiations because if you're going to go to a veteran and ask for a pay cut, you better be prepared for the what else or else. Because if you say, yeah, we need this much off, and he says no, you can't just say my bad. You've got to either cut them or say that, you know, it's, you can look out at the market and see if you can make more, but we're going to give you a couple of days to do that. Yeah, that's a, a good point that it's like, it's not like you're going to say, well, okay, how about this? I mean, once you say that, ask a, you know somebody to take that, and they say no. So, like he said, you can't say, oh, my, my bad. Uh, actually, let's, Just let's look at this. Yeah. you got to be willing, I would think, to, to lose them, to part with the player. Yeah, and then, like he said, allow them, hey, you, you and your agent, Check around, see see if you can find a better deal out there. Well, and that's kind of what they did with like Jaron Reed, you know that they they tried to restructure his contract. He was expecting them to come to him with a restructure, and you know it just it was like no, I'm not I'm not doing it. It was a little irrational, but Jay Reed was back last year, played really well. That one that was one. Not, it was not on the level of Le'Veon Bell turning down $14.5 million and being insulted by it yeah, and just choosing not to play and make nothing that year, which is literally the dumbest decision I think I've seen in football. But yeah. it, was, it was one where you scratched your head going, wait a minute, you had a $9 million check. You were going to get it all at once. And instead, you played for what did he sign for Kansas City? It was City? like $4.5 I mean, it, it was literally half. And you're going, yeah. I get your prides involved. I get that your maybe feelings were heard. You had one expectation. They came with something completely different than you expected. So your 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 pride got in the way of a f- almost five million dollars. I got to believe though with Jaron. I mean, look, he has an agent. His agent's got to be smart enough to tell him, look, they're giving you this money up front. I think it was with him. I think it was something else. But. On the surface, that's exactly what you described is exactly what it what he did, and that's what it looked like. But you know, and that's just irrational, irrational behavior. And I, obviously, he didn't do that because he didn't know what the rules were. Right. You know, he did it because he was tired of it. It's like, all right, you know what? And plus, went you know, I want to go to Kansas City where I think I have a chance to go to the playoffs, things like that. I think there was a lot more of that involved. But but yeah, I mean, this is that was I think a, I think that was a big shock to the Seahawks. You know, what? <laughs> this is a shock to me. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you bring up the agents and they can only do so much, but I'm wondering what Le'Veon Bell's agent was saying to him. Just pulling his hair out, probably. I think he's going, dude, you can make 14.5 or you can make zero. Yeah. Is this really a, a discussion here? Is this really uh, an apples to apples comparison? It's, it's all or zero. And he went with zero as a matter of pride. You get your pride involved and. That's, that that was one of the more uh, head scratching moves I've ever seen, but so be it. He's he's the one that's got to live with it, and then he moves on to boxing and fighting Adrian Peterson in the ring. So that's right. He, he, you I wonder what he got paid for that. 
Uh, I'm guessing not nearly as much as he would have made that season. Yeah. Uh, all right, coming up, he probably won't tell us which players they're going to cut, but we'll, we'll talk to him about everything else involved with the Seahawks. Seahawks uh, GM and president of football operations John Schneider will join us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.